0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Well, it's good to be with you all today and to open up Scripture with you guys. I don't know about you guys, but as we were reading through that, as Jeremy was reading through that, it seemed like a very countercultural passage to me. Uh, In our culture, we're taught... To put ourselves first, right? So that we live in a me first society, one that, that, that where we're taught to look out for number one, which of course means ourselves. Sometimes we have these ideas as a result of that of how things in this world should go. And I think a lot of us can say that safe, safe, pretty safely that as a result of these things, we oftentimes get into disagreements with one another because of the fact that we all have different ideas of how things should be Um, while we're looking out for ourselves. And sometimes we might even use these disagreements as an excuse to remove people from our lives, to say that it's okay to, to, we just just can't get along with these people and so we can just remove them. Now, I wanna be clear here, I don't believe our passage is advocating for abuse this morning. I don't believe that I will be advocating for that. Actually, I know I won't be advocating for that because I don't believe that has a place for us. But oftentimes when we get into these disagreements where we clash with one another, we oftentimes see this as more of like the first thing we do is, is, is think about how we can remove people from our lives rather than sitting down and having a conversation with them. Rather than that, being a worst case scenario, it's one of the first things we often do. Maybe we even feel like we have valid reasons for doing this. Maybe we're just like, oh, the personalities just don't click. Or or maybe we see other people treating these other people in that way, and we're like, okay, everybody else is doing it, so we can do that. Or maybe we're just not sure how to get along with somebody from the opposite political party. Or maybe we feel deeply hurt and sinned against by somebody that we love. I have a feeling that all of us have stories like this. Stories that we might not even want to share, because in selfish ambition, we looked out for number one. Instead of hearing the heart of others, and, and, and we, we've, we've just taken these steps to remove them. Today, we're, we're going to look at three ways that we can extend grace even when it's hard. Because I believe this is a problem that we experience not just as a culture, but even within the church. First, we're going to look at how we can seek unity through humility. Humility. Kids, if you're following along with your uh, your sheets there, our first point today, that first blank for you guys is humility. We want to to seek unity through humility. I want to look at verses 1 through 4 of our passage again. They say this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right away, it kind of sounds like Paul is asking a question, doesn't it? He says, so if, and then he lists a few different things that should define our Christian community. But he's not really asking a question here. He's continuing what he's been talking about at the end of chapter 1, where, he, where he's been talking about unity that we experience in Christian community with one another as we suffer for the sake of the gospel. And what he's saying is things like comfort, things like encouragement, things like participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy... These things we experience as we strive side by side with one mind with one another in the gospel as we go through the trenches of life with one another and even as we go through the high moments of life these things should define our Christian community. The question becomes is do they define our Christian community? Are we experiencing comfort, encouragement, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy as we gather together with one another? And if we're not, we need to ask ourselves, why is that? What's wrong with the community that we are experiencing? Because this is what Paul is saying should define our Christian community. Maybe you've been a part of a community of believers before where these these things have not been exhibited, where these things were not present, and that's hurt. And I understand that. But that doesn't give us a reason to say that we shouldn't be in community it doesn't give us a reason to say that, that always, every single time we gather together as believers, we will not experience this. No, that doesn't give us that excuse either. And so if you're not in community today, I want to urge you to, to, to consider joining a life group today, being involved in Christian community, experiencing unity within the body of Christ because that's what Paul has in mind for us. And the question might become, how do we live out unity as Christians? The answer for this doesn't come in verses 1 and 2, but it comes in the charge given in verses 3 through 4 where it says to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves, to let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. I think if we were to stop at verses one and two, we'd all agree that this sounds good, right? That this, in theory, sounds like a very good thing to live in unity with one another. And I would say that it is a good thing. But I don't think we realize how hard it is until we get to verses three and four here where we're given this charge. Because if we just stopped at the first couple of verses, it might be easy to try to say that we can push our own agendas Onto other people that we are in community with, to say that we have to be in unity with one another, and so you have to agree with every little thing that I am telling you. But that's not what God has in mind for us when it comes to living in unity as believers. That's not what he has in mind for us at all. His, his idea is that we are to lay down these ideas of what we think things should be. That we're to lay down these ideas and take up the interests of others, by counting them as more significant than ourselves. It's when we get to this point that we realize this is not easy at all. This is, in fact, hard. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, talks a lot about friendship, actually, because, well, friendship's very important to marriage, but it's also important to the community that we experience as believers. And several times throughout his book, Tim Keller comes back to this idea that there are threads that unite us, that there are commonalities that we share that unite us as friends. Maybe these things are common authors or sports that we enjoy together or or other hobbies, whatever those might be. Maybe it's a shared life experience, such as going to the same school or, or being on the same career path and trajectory there. These are threads that bring us together. But what Keller says is that In Christ, we share this thread thread with other fellow believers that unites us with Christ and other fellow believers. But he says that this thread isn't just an ordinary thread. This is more like a steel cable. And even that breaks down to some extent because it doesn't define the completely indestructible nature that we have with the bond that we experience between Christ and other believers. Thinking of others before ourselves is never easy. But it only takes one person living out of this relationship with Christ, this bond that we have with Christ, laying down our interests and taking up the interests of others to begin to develop a love for people, including those that we struggle to love. It only takes one person doing this. It's what we're called to do, right? It's what we're called to do is to lay down our interests, to take up the interests of others, to count others as more significant than ourselves. And what would it look like if we actually lived this out? What would it look like if we extended grace to those who are hard to love instead of retaliating against them? What would it look like if we sat down and actually had those hard conversations rather than removing people from our lives? What would it look like if we prayed for God to work in their hearts? What would it look like if we hope to see ourselves and these other people become more like Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what I think would happen. We would develop a love for one another. We would desire unity with one another. And that's what we want, right? We want to be unified with each other. We should should, uh, seek unity through humility. Second, we should rest in the mind of Christ. Kids, that second blank there for you guys, for that second point, that blank is Christ. We should rest in the mind of Christ. I want to look at verses 5 through 8 of our passage now. They say this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What beautiful hope is found in these verses. We see the heart of God for us, yet we also see the reason for the challenge extended to us to do nothing from selfish ambition, to consider others more significant than ourselves, to look not to our interests, but to the interests of others. We see this challenge lived out for us by Christ. On our own, this challenge might feel daunting if it wasn't for these verses. Maybe you even felt that as we went through the last point, you were wondering, why should others' interests take precedence over mine? Maybe it doesn't feel like others do the same thing in return for you. Or maybe you see that that's important, to count others as more significant than ourselves, to look to their interests first. But you're wondering, how is that even possible when you look at the sin that is in your life, when you look at the selfishness and pride that you see within you? I believe both of the answers to these questions are answered in these verses that we're about to look at, but first I wanna go back to verses three and four, because I believe they are the driving force of this passage and really set up what Paul is trying to bring home here for us today. I think we need to acknowledge that on our own, we don't look to the interests of others first. We don't count others as more significant than ourselves. I think it's very clear when we think about how we don't get along with others always that we do strongly disagree with people, and, and we sometimes feel extremely hurt or sinned against by people. And when we're going through these situations, I I don't believe that our first response is to extend grace to love these people even when it's hard to do so. I don't think that's our first response. I think that our first response is typically something along the lines of looking out for ourselves, looking out for number one. And I know I've seen this in my own life. I struggle to to love those who have hurt me. It's not easy for me to let others into my life, especially deep into my life. And sometimes, It feels like, you know, when I'm doing that, that that's an extreme act of trust on my part. And there are times where it feels like that trust is taken for granted, and that hurts bad. It really, really hurts. Sometimes it's hard for me to want to love people who have taken this trust for granted. But loving them is the very heart of God. I was reminded of this about a month ago. I was just thinking through this as I was going through the book of Hosea, and I just was brought to my attention that so often we forget that we have hurt God in the same way that others have hurt us. I was studying Hosea, and I came to chapter 11 in verse seven where it says, my people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. God's saying that his people are turning their backs on him. They're saying they don't want anything to do with him. Now, I don't know about you, but when people turn their backs on me, my response is probably at least somewhere deep down, but probably even sometimes closer to the surface level to want to do the same thing, to turn my back on them, to tell them I want nothing to do with them but that couldn't be any more different than how God responds. It couldn't be any more opposite. We see in the very next verse after he says that his people have turned their backs on him that this is how he responds. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. When I was reading those verses, I think I just started weeping because it's so beautiful what God is saying here. And it's so contrary to how I want to respond when people have turned their backs on me. To respond by counting others as more significant than myself. We see that, that, that God's heart literally grows with compassion for us when we turn our backs on him. Every single time that we have ever done that, his heart is the one of compassion instead. Instead of turning his back on us, instead of wanting to do the same, he responds in compassion instead. His heart is so disgusted at the thought of doing that that he responds to us in compassion. And we see just, just how, how, how disgusted God is at, that, at turning his back on us when we get to Philippians five or 2, 5 through 8 here. We see that the Father sends his Son to die on the cross. We see that Jesus willingly leaves the infinite glory of heaven to come to the garbage heap of this earth. To live the life of a servant. One where he's ultimately going to die. To die for us. That's that's God's heart of compassion towards us. That every time we turn our backs on him, we have a, a way to come back to him through repentance and faith in Christ. This is why we're to extend this grace to others. Because it's what Christ did for us. It's what Jesus did for us. Every single time we were turning our backs on him. Every single time we were looking to our own interests. It's something we have to realize we can't do on our own. Verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, insert your name here. It's in Christ that we can have this mind, that we can put on this mind. It's only through faith in him that we can, that we can extend this grace in compassion, leaving the door open for reconciliation with others. Just as we have been reconciled with God through faith in Christ, we can desire reconciliation with others through Christ's humility because that's what God's done for us, right? We can do this even to those we struggle to love. And what does Christ's humility look like? Well, we see a couple of different things in this passage that we're gonna look at today. Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Jesus emptied himself. Now we have to be careful when we get to this point in our passage because there are some people who will say that when Paul is talking about how Jesus emptied himself here, that they will say that when Jesus came to earth, that he stopped being God. And that is not what Paul is saying here. Jesus came to earth as fully man, but also fully God. he He did not cease to be God when he came to this earth. But what Paul is saying here is is very beautiful. Jesus laid down his rights. He could have come to this world saying, this is how I ought to be treated. He could have done so even more perfectly than anybody else. Yet he didn't do that. He came as a humble servant. He came as a humble servant. And as a result of that, he knew what it meant to suffer. He knew what it meant to go through times of hardship in his life because he went through it more than anybody else. He was rejected, he was despised, he was scorned, he was mocked, he was even crucified, which we're going to talk about in just a second. He is the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. And as a result, we can run to him, and he sympathizes with us in our weakness, in our struggle to care for others' needs before our own. When we're even hurt at the thought of doing that, we can run to him in those moments, because he came as a servant showing us our sin and need for a savior. But Jesus' death also was was a part of his humility. The text says that, that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. Dying a death on the cross was the most humiliating and degrading death that Jesus could have died at that point. He was treated as though he was a criminal, yet he lived a perfect life. He had done nothing wrong, yet he was treated as though he had done wrong. He was treated as a criminal, and not only this, but he bore the wrath of the Father. Remember, every single time we've ever turned our back on God, every single time we've said, I'd rather look to my interests than yours, God. We deserve wrath for that. But Jesus paid the price for that. That when we have faith in him, we know that, our, that the wrath that, was, that should have been directed at us was actually directed at Christ. That's amazing that he came as a servant, that he died the death that you and I deserve. That, that's humility. That's true humility. That's perfect humility. It's humility that we can't extend on our own. We need Christ in order to do it. We need to have faith in him in order to do this. We need to, put on, or we need to rest in the mind of Christ. And third, discover the blessing of sacrifice. Kids, for those of you following along, that blank there is blessing. Discover the blessing of sacrifice. Verses 9 through 11 say this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we see that there's even more hope for us. Jesus didn't just die in our place. He didn't just come as a servant, but he he rose again from the grave three days later by the power of God. From there, he ascended into heaven, where he was exalted and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. He's reigning currently at God's right hand, and this is such good news for us. Why? Because we are united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. But as we lay down our interests and take up the interests of others, this is part of what it looks like to be united with Christ in his death. I don't, I don't believe it's the totality of it, but it's definitely part of it. And as we are, are united with him in his death, we know that we will also be united with him in his resurrection. That as we humble ourselves under the lordship of Christ, we will be exalted as well. We have a, an identity that is found in him, in Christ. And this is so beautiful that we have this here. So are we going to live out of the mind of this world? We're going to live out of the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is where blessing comes from. It's through sacrificially laying down our interests and taking up the mind of Christ. That's where, where, where blessing is found. But we're all born into this world having already had on the mind of this world, already living out of the mind of this world. We see this distinction very clearly in Philippians 3, 18 through 21, where it says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We see the futility of living out of the mind of this world here. That we literally walk as enemies of the cross of Christ through this mind. We walk as God's enemies, saying we want nothing to do with him. We're turning our backs on him. And where is our God found? It says our God and in that moment, if we're living out of the mind of this world, that the, the God, their God is their belly or their appetite or their desires. Sounds familiar now, right? Their God becomes themselves and their own desires It's not possible for us to look to the interests of others if we're living out of the mind of this world because we're set on earthly things, on destruction, on our own desires. And it makes sense that these things are destruction when we're trying to find our identity in the things of this world. I mean, we just have to look to the threads that unite us together as friends with one another. Is that where we're trying to find our identity? In our hobbies, in sports, in authors that we enjoy to read in relationships or career goals or whatever it might be is that where we're trying to find our identity in these threads because that's exactly what they are threads that can be easily cut and then they're gone they're gone they have no hope for us if we don't have hope in Christ but if we were to try to take these scissors to the bond that unites us with Christ and other believers If everything's coming out of that identity, there is nothing that can harm that bond. Nothing can harm that bond. And that's so good news for us that when we have the mind of Christ, when we live out of this mind, that we have been given brand new identities when we we have faith in Christ. We have have new identities where we have been given citizenship that is in heaven under his lordship where the things of this world will pass pass away which includes our bodies. We have hope because one day Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's what an identity that is found in Christ looks like. And it's so beautiful. There's so much hope there. I want to ask you, is that your hope today? Is it? Is your hope there? And if not, Submit yourself under the lordship of Christ. Repent of your sin. Believe in the work that he has done on the cross and in his resurrection to set you free from your sin from every single time you have turned your back on God and gone and done what you've wanted to do instead. Do it. Our passage tells us that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is going to happen whether we do this willingly now or, 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 or fo- more forced on us in the future. This is gonna happen. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. So I'd urge you to humbly bow your knee to him today, to confess him as the Lord of your life and experience the relationship that comes with him, the most loving and compassionate relationship that you could ever be a part of. For those of us who are in Christ today, we shouldn't just see this event where every knee will bow and every tongue confess as some future far-off event. Don't get me wrong, we have future hope there. But we should hope to see this as a present reality in our world as well, right? Isn't it good news that Jesus is currently reigning as king? Isn't it awesome that we we have such hope there? What would it look like to proclaim to this world that Jesus Christ is? Is Lord, to see every tongue confess, to see every knee bow to him as Lord of their life. We should hope for that. And we should, that should be our aim, right? We should desire this. And it definitely looks like laying down our interests, taking up the interests of others, counting others as more significant than ourselves, but it also looks like proclaiming who Jesus is and what he has done for us to those that God has uniquely placed in our lives. Even those we struggle to love. Even those who have the different personalities. Even those who we strongly disagree with. Even the Democrat or the Republican. Even those that have hurt us deeply. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's what it looks like to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than ourselves. It's living in this way that submits ourself under the lordship of Christ. We experience the blessing that comes with this, the grace and mercy that has been extended to us for every time we have turned our back on God, to every time we've looked to our own interests, that we can come back to him through repentance and faith. He has left the door open for us to do so. Our identities now are as citizens of heaven. This is great blessing that we have been extended. We should discover the blessing of sacrifice. From all of this today, we see that in Christ, we consider others first. Kids, that last and final blank for you, the big idea of today is first. That in Christ, we consider others first. This doesn't come naturally to us. We do naturally seek after our own interests. We do naturally look out for number one on our own and myself included in that. I see that very clearly in my desire for comfort and security in my life. How I strive after those things oftentimes. And I see it very clearly when I'm going through times of anxiety in my life, to the point where I'm so anxious, where I I at least have to come across to others as though I am comfortable, as though I am secure, even if I'm not feeling that. Reminded of this back in April when I was going through a time like this. I had to decide, was I going to bring others into my anxiety? I was afraid that my best friends were gonna turn their backs on me. I had no real reason for believing this. I had no valid reason for it. It was just running through my head. It was a dumb thought that I had. But as I was going through that, I had a choice. Did I wanna bring them into it or not? And at first I didn't. I waited until the anxiety had passed that day and I called up two of my best friends and told them exactly what had been going on and I was thankful for their response, that they reaffirmed, Ryan, we've got your back. We're not going anywhere. That they laid down their interests and took up mine in that moment, which was awesome because they could have responded differently. They could have questioned why I would think that or say that to them. But they, 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 they looked out for their own, for, not for their interests, but to mine. And I'm thankful that I brought them in on this rather than stubbornly and anxiously remaining in this like I've done so many other times in my life. I allowed them to be able to to exercise the mind of Christ that had been given to them through faith in him. It's through resting there and only there that we consider others first. So it's not something that we do on our own, but we we realize that it's possible when we think about how God has compassionately left the door open for us to return to him through repentance and faith in Christ. That when we fail to extend this grace to others, we can repent of this sin, we can even rely on Christ to extend this grace to others when we fail to do so. It's through Christ that we can retire, re, 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 or desire retaliation less and reconciliation more. It's through Christ that we can sit down and have those difficult conversations with those we disagree with or have hurt us. It's through Christ that we can pray for the spiritual flourishing of those who have hurt us. It's through Christ that we can hope to see these very people and ourselves conformed more to the image of Christ. And why is that? Because it's in Christ we consider others first. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just giving us this grace through Christ. Thank you so much that every single time we have turned our backs on you, that you don't turn your back on us, but you have left the door open to us to return to you. Would you help us to do that? Would you help us to repent of our sin when we see it and to bring it before you and rely on you to extend this grace, Lord? Would you help us to look not to our own interests but to the interests of others, to count them as more significant than ourselves? Thank you, Lord, for, the, for this. Thank you for that. And would you give us the extra grace necessary to extend this grace when we need it, Lord? It's in Christ's name